Hello, and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. This podcast helps to inform and empower you about your rights within the workplace. We cover topics and examples of various matters in employment law, including sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, racial discrimination, how the courts define a hostile work environment, whistleblowing, and everything in between. Workplace Justice is brought to you by the New York City Employment and Civil Rights Law Firm, Nassar Law Group. Here are your hosts, Mahir Nassar, Casey Wolnowski, and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. My name is Meyer Nassar, and I'm joined with Casey Wolnowski and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Today's guest is going to be speaking on an extremely important topic. Our guest today is the author and activist Ashton Applewhite. She's been recognized by the New York Times, New Yorker, National Public Radio, and the American Society on Aging as an expert on ageism. She blogs at This Share Rocks, speaks widely at venues that have ranged from the United Nations to the TEDx main stage, has written The Harpers, The Guardian, and The New York Times, and is the voice of Yo, Is This Ageist? The author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto on ageism, Ashton is a leading spokesperson for a movement to make discrimination on the basis of age as unacceptable as any other form of prejudice. Thank you, Ashton, for joining us today to talk and try to learn more about ageism and the forms of discrimination people are treated with as a result of their age. Thank you, Meyer. Pleasure to be here. Let's start this conversation on, Ashton, what would you want people to understand in terms of the concept of ageism? What is ageism? Uh, the dictionary definition is discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age. A simpler way to think about that is just being treated unfairly because of your age. Ageism is any judgment on the basis of age. And I think it's important to know that it cuts both ways. You're too young for insert task, responsibility, whatever, is every bit as ageist as you're too old, in air quotes, for something. Because we live in a very youth-centric culture, so older people bear the brunt of it. Two things I'd like people to know about that, the air quotes are around the phrase too young or too old. You might be too inexperienced. You might be too smart for it. You might be too out of shape for it. You might have any number of reasons why you are or not or are not able or willing to do something. Age is never the reason unless the activity involves extreme athleticism. And the other thing I would love people to know, if I could put one fact about aging into everyone's brain, it would be that the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. Because we think about it. Think about your high school reunion pictures, for example. Every newborn is unique, but 17-year-olds have a lot more in common socially, developmentally, physically, cognitively, than 37-year-olds who are way more alike than 57-year-olds and so on out. So the older a person is, the less their age conveys about what they are capable of in any domain. Yeah, I guess in certain circumstances, you kind of touched upon the different experiences that one has. I think that at every given spectrum of the aging process from being very young and being treated differently because of inexperience or I guess the perception of inexperience, mm -hmm. whereas also the perception that is associated with the mainstream media and kind of portraying the process of aging and somewhat demonizing and stigmatizing that. What are your thoughts on in terms of like, the experiences that one has in the aging process as they grow older within the workplace. I love the way you started referencing aging 
as a lifelong process. Aging is not just something annoying that old people do. It is a process on which we embark the day we're born. And of course, each of us experience ages in a unique way. And the way we age is also informed by our gender, by how well off we happen to be, by our sexual orientation, by geography, by a thousand other factors. So each person's experience is unique. So I think when we talk about the workforce, most people think of having a full-time job during the middle decades of your life. That whole notion is changing along with the notion of retirement as people live longer, Mm -hmm. as technology alters the way we will work. And we have had a very vivid example of that with COVID and so many people, the fortunate among us like me, being able to work from home and huge macroeconomic trends that mean that job security, if it ever existed, for you know lucky people especially in my generation my parents generation i'm a baby boomer at 68 so all these massive forces are transforming what work is what we mean by work and how we do it from zoomers as they know from kids entering the workforce now all the way on out we are all hostage to these trends ageism is where most people most men i should say encounter ageism for the first time it is often the first form of discrimination that white men encounter the idea like oh crap i am being treated unfairly because of how i look and i feel powerless in the face of it and it is an awful feeling that most women have known for the minute they stopped god forbid looking young air quotes around that and that people of color experience from the minute they're born. So in that sense, it is just as aging is the universal human experience, ageism is the one form of prejudice we all encounter. Not one stereotype about older workers holds up under scrutiny. I think ageism persists because it is profitable to pit workers against each other and to kick people out that you are paying a higher salary to or that you imagine might not be as productive or might require special accommodations. And that's just an assumption. For most people in their 50s, 60s, and even 70s are able I mean, you can't even generalize about a big group of people because it's so variable. Most older people want to continue to work. Many of us have to continue to work, but most of us want to work flexible hours and want some control over our schedule in the way that working from home now allows. So I want to make the point that people with disabilities have been asking for the kind of accommodations that COVID enabled for decades. Suddenly, once the health of the general public was at risk, they became magically possible. Let's work to keep them that way, not only for people with disabilities, among whom many, they're all ages, obviously, but many of us will age into some form of incapacity. So that's good for all of us. It is, but working from home is also a recipe for social isolation. The question is, how do we create equitable society across the lifespan for younger workers, middle-aged workers, and older workers lifelong? The retirement age of 65 is completely obsolete. The way to do this is, of course, to look at what each worker brings to the table and identify that unique set of 
capabilities and perhaps lack of capabilities that is specific to each individual. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic has primarily increased unemployment among younger people. What older people face is a harder time getting a job if they have been laid off and a very hard time getting a job at their former rate of pay. And the longer we are out of work, the worse it is for our wallets and our mental health. So does that answer your question? Yes, and it kind of even goes even further. And I think it also brings in another couple of questions along the way, which are, you know, you mentioned about the concept that it can be profitable for it's a matter of profit for a lot of businesses to make decisions on the basis of, you know, with time, with working and having more experience. Obviously, perhaps if a business does the right thing, you should be incrementally making more money. And so sometimes businesses try to, in some indirect way, target people that are making more money and just happen to be also of a certain age. And it could be motivated by that as well. I guess in terms of the common motivations, you obviously mentioned business reasons in terms of the financial aspects. What other forms of motivations have you seen that motivate age discrimination? Well, the biggest one is older workers are expensive. I would never (laughs) want to say it's impossible to generalize. I would say that many older workers would prefer to not work full time, which is a savings. You know, there are a million creative ways to solve this problem that suit the individual worker and the industry. And also, of course, once you're 65, there's Medicare. So you don't have health expenses on top of that. And I believe the Biden administration is proposing to lower that age to 60. So there are a million ways to creatively skin this cat. The issue Mm -hmm. is assessing what the older employee brings to the job. It is absolutely nuts to have to make the case that experience should be an asset, not a liability. Companies are interested in the bottom line. We know that diversity and inclusion is a good thing. So one thing I would urge people to do is if the group around the table is all younger people, ask how come, just as you, I hope, would ask if it's all white people or if it's all people that have a certain religion or whatever. Diversity is good for companies. There are millions of studies, many studies, not millions, that show that mixed age and mixed gender, et cetera, workforces do better work, suit clients' needs better, especially in creative industries. The reason the gender wage gap persists is because it is profitable. If women are arguing about who's a better mother, stay-at-home mother or the mother in the paid workforce, they are not joining forces to close the gender wage gap so that women could choose whether or not to stay home. And COVID has forced more and more women to stay home, to abandon their careers because the man makes more money, not because, frankly, he's such a genius or because he's better at his job, but because women are persistently underpaid. The time we spend doing caregiving, which is underpaid and underappreciated because it's women's work, cuts into our social security. We are penalized rather than rewarded for that. And that kind of work, which is relevant to older people as well, even though it is often unpaid, has measurable enormous economic value that caring for people for free is something that the government then or your company doesn't have to pay you to do in the form of sick leave or in the form of medical assistance. So a really bigger, more abstract ask is to think about what we mean by work and what we mean by productivity. And I'll put some more air quotes around productivity. In a hyper-capitalist society, we tend to think of that as going somewhere, doing a task and bringing home money. If an older person is caring for a grandchild, for example, 
they are enabling their children to go out and do that paid work. And an enormous amount of the unpaid labor that older people do, volunteering, helping communities, looking in on other older and younger people has enormous measurable economic benefit that tends to be left out of the equation. I have a question. Why do you believe that ageism doesn't get the same amount of attention as other forms of discrimination like racism or sexism? You just don't hear about ageism. I mean, there aren't the same sorts of advocacy, I feel like, out there as to other forms of discrimination. A lot of times I feel like ageism is somewhat accepted. That's a good question, Jeff. I have a Mm -hmm. theory about that. My theory is that it took the baby boom of which I am dead center, born in 1952, a while Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that exceptional, and exceptional is in big air quotes here, exceptional as we are, special though we are, we too are, guess what, getting older. And we need to accept that. Okay. Also, we had the women's movement. We had the civil Mm -hmm. rights movement in the 70s. We know that there is tremendous more to be done to achieve equal rights Mm -hmm. for Black people and people of color. We know that we are a long way from equal rights for women. But there is an awareness in the culture, especially, I think, thanks to Black Lives Matter this summer, Mm -hmm. that we need to act differently. And COVID has done an enormous amount. I don't want to say good things have come out of COVID, but has put ageism front and center in a way it was not before, and also ableism, prejudice against people with disabilities. Think of the enormous death toll in long-term care facilities. People don't go to those because they're old. They go to them because they acquire a disability and require nursing care. So there's always hand-wringing around anything age-related. Oh, it's making these things worse. No, it's not. It is the pandemic has exposed these prejudices in a way that they have never been exposed before, brought aging out of the corners of the room, right into the middle, as witnessed Mm -hmm. by the fact that you're having this conversation with me. And I think we are at a point, and something else I urge your listeners to do is when there's any discussion about criteria for diversity, ask people what their criteria are. And if Mm -hmm. age isn't mentioned, say, how about age? And I guarantee you, no one will say that's a stupid idea. They Mm -hmm. will smack their foreheads audibly and say, why didn't I think of that? So to hitch age to that sled, we are not starting where we were in 1970 when we said, gee, a woman could run a big company as well as a man, or when we said African-Americans deserve full civil rights and privileges, the same that white Americans have. So to say older people deserve the same access and opportunities that younger people do is not as big an ask as it would have been. There's cultural momentum around it. So I think that is changing. And I have evidence that it is, I would like to mention a website called Old School. The URL is oldschool.info. And it is a clearinghouse of free vetted anti-ageism tools and resources. Everything is free except the books. There is a campaigns section, which is anti-ageism campaigns from around the world, not how to live forever, not how to cure your arthritis, but Mm -hmm. campaigns in different cities. San Francisco has a fantastic one. Australia has this superb national campaign. We just spoke with a scholar in Israel. Israel is launching a national ageism awareness campaign. So things are changing, but it's going to take each of us to help you know, to join the movement. Right. Ashton, there was one thing that you mentioned a few moments ago regarding there's a different ways to skin the cat. And I would say more often than not, the types of age discrimination we see is not necessarily the overt kind, right? But rather it's 
a group of people in their 60s or 70s are let go. And the company's position is we had to take cost-cutting measures. And these were the most expensive employees. And I wanted to know your thoughts about that, at least in terms of what can companies do from a perspective of making financial decisions and having to go through the process of those tough decisions concerning layoffs where the fallback is not, well, let's get rid of the most expensive employees or the highest earners who also happen to be you know, amongst the most experienced. I'm not equipped to advise older people on how they can prepare for this experience. I'm happy to recommend people who can. There's a wonderful group called the Age Equity Alliance. What I would like to speak to is the knee-jerk assumption on the part of of employers that these older workers are disposable. First of all, there is enormous cultural memory. The workers who have been there for a long time know a great deal that is of value to the company. And if they are transitioned slowly out, they can pass pass on what they know to younger workers, which is how it should work. There is an assumption, yes, you can hire a younger worker, a brand someone right out of school for much less money, but you have to train them. That costs money. And they are likely to move on much sooner. Older workers are far more loyal. That has value, you know, dollars and cents value. I am, let me make it clear, not bad mouthing younger people. There's sort of, you know, when we, when we say things like, you know, oh, millennials, they're so self-indulgent or they're not committed, they're just going to move on. Guess what? We boomers did that when we were their age. That is a function of trying to figure out what you want to do in the world. So that is not a generational effect. That's a function of the age you are, the stage you are in your life. So there are also all kinds of associated costs with training and retraining and retaining younger workers that you don't have around with older workers. So the math is much more complicated than they have a bigger salary, let's kick them out the door. There's also legal consequences. It's not legal. Mm -hmm. And age discrimination is illegal. From the age of 40 on, workers have recourse and people are starting to file more lawsuits and win more lawsuits. And in New York, it's you only have to be 18 to be protected against age discrimination. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And under the New York State Human Rights Law and in New York City, the New York City Human Rights Law, anyone who's 18 and over is covered under the the anti-discrimination Fantastic. I was referring to the Age Discrimination in Employment Act, which just had its birthday last year. But Mm -hmm. let me point out again that 40 is when that kicks in. That was 50 years ago. We look in Silicon Valley at guys who are having Botox and cosmetic surgery before key interviews. And these are skilled white men in their 30s. So Mm -hmm. imagine the effects further down the food chain. But the overarching point is we are not going to end ageism in the workplace or in healthcare or in gender relations anywhere without a grassroots movement to confront it and educate people about it in the culture at large. And that's why I do the work I do. Yeah, and absolutely. It's very, very important work. Ashton, I want to ask you a little bit more about the experience for someone that has gone through the process of being treated unfairly on the basis of their age, specifically more towards the emotional and psychological impact that it has on someone. It's do you have any thoughts on that? It's hideous. And I think it's worse for men. I hope this will change because I can only make the case in a world where there's so much gender bias that women do not have the opportunity to invest in their careers the way most men do. But it's no gift 
to men to be responsible as the full breadwinner, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope the whole landscape becomes equalized between the sexes. But for many men, the workplace is not only their primary source of identity, it's their primary source of social connection. That is the number one reason people want to keep on working. And to be told that everything you have learned, all the skills you have acquired, render you worthless, have no value. is It's devastating. I had an op-ed on Labor Day a couple of years ago in the Sunday New York Times, and I got letters that were absolutely heartrending. And not to mention, along with the emotional and psychological trauma, what if you can't feed your family? You know what? No one has the energy to join a social movement or, you know, go seek an expensive therapist if they can't afford Cheerios for their kids. There are coalitions forming to address this. I do want to recommend the Age Equity Alliance. We're going to segue here into discussing a little bit about the ADA. And I wanted to ask Jeff and Casey a little bit about for our listeners to understand if they ever happen to experience any form of unfair workplace related circumstances surrounding their age, what they should do in order to protect themselves, how they need to go about it, and what they need to know. Well, the one thing you should know is that it's, as Ashton was saying, and as we were talking about a little while ago, it is unlawful under federal law, and we're located in New York State, in New York State, to discriminate against someone based on their age. That includes not only failing to hire someone or terminating someone or demoting them or giving them a decrease in pay, but it also applies to harassment. And it's so it's unlawful to harass someone or make jokes about them or make any decision at all taking into account their age. So regardless of whether you're positive that you are being subjected to age discrimination or you're not really sure, but you think you are, the most important thing to do is document it and complain. Start developing a written record of the discrimination so that there's no dispute in the future whether you believe you were being discriminated against, whether the employer had notice of the discrimination. So what you want to do is you want to look at the employee's policies, look at the handbook, see if there is a specific complaint procedure, see if there's someone who's designated to receive complaints of discrimination or age discrimination, and follow that procedure and complain. Furthermore, pursuant to the same laws, there are anti-retaliation provisions that are included within those anti-discrimination statutes. So anyone who complains of age discrimination has engaged in what we call a protected activity, and it is unlawful for that employer to take any retaliatory action, to take any action at all against that employee on the basis due to their complaint and retaliation for their complaint. So similarly, if you file a complaint of age discrimination and someone comes up to you and makes some sort of remark about, you know, how dare you complain about me or a week later you're demoted or you're written up for some somewhat frivolous reason, complain again, document the retaliation, because what's going to come back to haunt you is the fact that nothing is documented. You thereafter go to try to prove this, to try to establish all that happened. And it really becomes your word against their word. And they have, you know, management that lines up against you. And it becomes a very difficult hurdle to, to get over. So make sure everything is documented. 
I just want to add that if you witness age discrimination against someone else, you know, I think we've all learned a lot mm -hmm. in Black Lives Matter about how we can be better anti-racists as people who are not experiencing discrimination directly come up to that person and say, you know, ask. They should be in charge of their experience. They may not want to rock the boat or they may be too unaware of their rights to complain, but say, gee, I was here when that happened. How do you feel about it? Or if you mm -hmm. ever, you'll know the person, but offer to support their claim and let them know that they are not alone. And you should know that when you not only raising your own rights, but raising the rights of others is also protected against retaliation. So you shouldn't be worried that if you stick up for someone else, you're going to be retaliated against because you do have protections under the law. And one thing I will add to, Jeff, what you said about things that you do that for which you're protected under the anti-retaliation mm -hmm. provisions of the ADA and, and the state and city counterparts is that it need not necessarily be a formal complaint. Right. The the case law is clear that it is a protester opposition. So long as you convey a protester opposition to what you reasonably believe to be age discrimination, you are protected. So we had a case. We had a man who they were gradually trying to force him out. They were taking away his accounts. They were lessening his workload for seemingly no reason whatsoever. And he brought it to the attention of management. He said, I don't understand why this is happening. The reasons you're giving me don't make sense. I believe that it's because of you're trying to get my workload to other account representatives. I have no interest in retiring and I want to continue working here, but it seems the only reason you're doing this is because you're doing it to the people who are 50 and older. And we successfully demonstrated that that was adequate to show that he was protesting or opposing age discrimination. He never made a formal complaint. He never utilized the employee handbook to put any anything in writing. In fact, he was let go before he was able to do that. But the fact that he went to management and inquired and said, this seems to be unfair. This is happening to all the people age 50 and older. That satisfied the anti-retaliation provisions of the statute. So it need not necessarily be just a formal complaint. It can be informal and something that you reasonably believe to be unfair. And age 50 seems, you know, it's not young, clearly, but that is somebody with decades more to in which to contribute who is hitting their stride. I mean, I didn't land on this new field of inquiry until my mid-50s when it dawned on me, like, oh, I am actually getting old and I'm terrified. And what's that about? And I'm 68 and I'm not as strong as I used to be. And I sure can't see or hear as well. But I really do feel at the height of my intellectual powers and much more confident than I used to be and just more in possession of skills that enable me to put my work out in the world. And I know that there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of older people around the world of whom that is also true. I was watching your TED talk and I was very reassured by the, uh, what did you call it? The U curve of the happiness. Curve of happiness. Or, yeah. So maybe you can talk sure. about that because that was really interesting. I mean, that is why people say, gee, was there some lightning bolt moment or did you experience discrimination? No, I work alone. So no one can fire me. I'm self-employed. But it was because I got very apprehensive. I'm like, I'm terrified. And I began looking into longevity, researching it, interviewing older people, because that's sort of my way of doing things. And within a few months, if not weeks, I learned the statistics, the facts with which I kicked off my TED Talk a decade later. For example, I thought the odds of ending up in a nursing home were pretty darn good. I would have guessed 20 to 30%. That talk was four years ago. At that time, 4% mm -hmm. 
of Americans over 65 were in nursing homes. In the last four years, it has dropped to two and a half percent. And COVID wow. is going to make it drop even further for reasons that are good, because people want ways to age in place if there is community services mm -hmm. and support, and reasons not so good because it's often a recipe for denial. I'm just going to stay in the old homestead and pretend nothing's ever going to happen. Well, guess what? Something always happens. But I digress. And the U-curve of happiness. It shows that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. And I thought they must have cornered two 80-year-olds and given them a cookie. I mean, I'm a skeptic. This is not, right. it's why I'm not a skeptic, but I'm curious and I want good social science. And then I thought, mm -hmm. well, this must be true if you are wealthy or it must be true if you are healthy. The curve obtains across geography, across class, across marital status. It is a function of the way aging itself affects healthy brain. So if I could ask one more thing of your listeners, it is to educate yourself about aging. It's not that the scary stuff isn't real. It's that our fears are so out of proportion. We only hear, for example, about how awful Alzheimer's is, and it's awful, mm -hmm. but we never hear about the fact that rates of Alzheimer's are dropping fast. And the odds of any one of us getting Alzheimer's are lower, far lower than they used to be, and we are getting diagnosed at later ages. And if I can add one thing about that, there is a wealth of data growing by leaps and bounds that show that attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. And it's usually framed as people with more positive attitudes towards aging fare better. Mm -hmm. I like to say people with fact rather than fear-based attitudes. And I'm glad I'm talking to a bunch of attorneys because I know you'll get the facts. Again, it's not that the scary stuff isn't real. But we only hear one side of the story, or we only hear about the extreme cases, you know, the 80-year-olds jumping out of those goddamn airplanes, or the 50-year-old with early-onset Alzheimer's. And most of us, by definition, are going to end up in the messy middle. No one actually wants to be any younger. Think about that. No right. one wants to go back to their youth. So people with fact rather than fear-based attitudes towards aging, walk faster, live longer, seven and a half years longer on average, that's a lot, heal quicker even from severe disability. And my favorite study shows that people with fact-based attitudes are less likely to develop dementia, even if you have the gene that predisposes you towards the disease. And the thinking is that this more optimistic, resilient attitude helps buffer stress which is a function of living in an ageist culture. So join the movement to end ageism. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ashton, for taking out the time to speak to us. This was an interesting, very, very informative conversation. Jeff and Casey, thank you so much as well. Once again, we will continue to be discussing a lot of issues involving the various forms of discrimination that exist in the workplace. Thank you so much for listening and take care. Thanks for joining us today on the Workplace Justice Podcast. Love this episode? Leave us a review and tell us what you think about our show. If you haven't subscribed yet, head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss a new episode. Need help? Talk to an employment lawyer today. Visit our website at nisarlaw.com or call 212-600-9534 for your free case evaluation. See you in the next episode.